I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Susan Francis Morris. Her new book is The Sensitive One, a memoir. At age 50, Susan Morris is diagnosed with breast cancer, and she's floored. Desperate to pinpoint the cause, one night she decides to type a question into her search engine. What are the risk factors of getting breast cancer? She's surprised to discover research showing that long-term exposure to stress and traumatic childhood experiences can both increase the risk of breast cancer. Her memoir alternates between her childhood as a sensitive child and then teenager who shouldered the burden of caring for her younger siblings as her dad's alcoholism tore at the threads of their home life, and an adult who for a decade plus has been living a trauma-free life with a caring husband and rewarding career in nursing, only to be diagnosed with breast cancer. This is a story of redemption, of a woman who manages to escape harrowing circumstances and start anew. But it's also a story of how our legacy lives within us and how healing from the adverse effects of childhood can truly take a lifetime. Welcome to the show, Susan. Nice to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me for that nice well, intro. <laughs> well, it, 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 I really mean it because your book is compelling. I read the whole thing. Uh, I think it's a great memoir. I think it's pretty brave to write memoirs. That's a, maybe another topic for the day, but because uh, you really are exposing yourself and your family, and uh, it's, it's pretty raw, uh, but it really is helpful, and I think that a lot of mm-hmm. people will find, yeah, a lot of, of um, uh, I guess, it will have reactions to the book that they can identify with. Many of us can. So, um, yes. mm-hmm. yeah, getting back to the, the memoir, but diagnosed with breast cancer, let's start with that because that's pretty jarring and scary no matter what your experiences mm-hmm. have been. Um, and you were young, very young to be, what, 51 years old? Yeah, I just was, yeah, just turned 51. Yeah, I just was 50. So, yeah, I thought that was young. And, yeah, didn't see that coming at all. And so, um, yeah. So you didn't see it coming. It's so, just like, yeah, all of a sudden yeah, they so, tell you. you know, it was, yeah, it was a weird time. We were actually getting ready to um, move across the country, halfway across the country from Connecticut to St. Louis, where uh, my husband joined a new uh, practice, a medical practice, and you know, when everybody's getting ready to uh, move, you know, you got to make sure, sh- you know, make sure you get your doctor's appointments up to date, your dentist, because by the time you move to a new place, it'll probably be a little while, right? So I felt this weird tingling in my breast when I was at work one day, and I, I'd never felt anything like that. If anybody's nursed their children, it felt like that. It felt like a little tiny mini letdown reflex. It was enough to make me pause. I was in a meeting. I looked out the window. I was like, what was that? And so it just triggered my memory. It's like, oh my God, it's June. It's my mammogram month. I got to get my mammogram. And I originally thought, you know, I think I'm just going to wait until I, too much going on, right? I think I'm just going to wait until I move to, and I'll find somebody and I'll get it done. Thank goodness I didn't do that because this type of cancer was so aggressive that probably even six months would have made a big difference. So, um, so yeah, so all of that, we're getting through all that. 
go through the Do you think that, original- you know, just because, I mean, I, I don't know if I said, yes, you, you have a, I did say this in the beginning, but you are, I mean, like you're a nurse. So do you think, yes. you know, that tingling in your breast, because you were a nurse, you were more aware that, hey, this is, I shouldn't be having the same, I, I you know, I breastfed all my kids and I, I for a long period yes. of time. So I know what that tingling is. And of course, after I read your book, I'm yeah, thinking, sure. if I, I had the tingling, I, I, I better, you know, but um, you were more aware of what was happening in your body because you are a nurse. Well, I think I think anybody that's more aware of their, what's going on in their own body would yeah. maybe say this is kind of weird. But as a nurse, I was lucky enough that I worked in women's health, so I managed the whole postpartum, uh, you know, uh, unit, and. So I had a friend that was right down the hallway who was a lactation consultant. So I decided to ask her, you know, here I am 50 years old. You know, I don't remember ever going through menopause and never had a hot flash. But I said to her, would, would, would menopause or my hormones cause, you know, cause this feeling? She said, gee, I don't know. You know, um, she never heard about it before. And she said, I could do some research for you. And I said, oh, no. So, um, so I called, went to my office and I made a phone call for the mammogram and, you know, they got me in, in like two days. And I remember thinking, you know, my mammograms are very much, you know, in the door, out the door, 8.30 AM, I'd scheduled before work and in and out. And then when I went in there, I, I remember the lady's name from the, the last year. I remember we were chatting about kids. And so I, I was kind of familiar with her and I said, you know, I had this weird tingling in this in one spot, and I showed her where it was. And um, she, sure enough, she looked at looked at it and said, "Oh, geez, oh my, that wasn't there last year." And so that was the beginning of the whole process of you know a long, long period of time of all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, the let's talk about the impact of that on writing your book, and I know the book goes back and forth from your childhood to the mm-hmm. diagnosis. Um, and so how is it all connected in terms of your diagnosis of breast cancer and writing the book and learning how to, actually learning about the adverse, as I said, effects of childhood on mm-hmm. you and uh, you know, as you say, it took a lifetime for you to discover this. Yeah, so I start with the breast cancer, kind of how it started. So all of the treatment, um, you know, I ended up having surgery in Connecticut. Then I started in St. Louis, Missouri. I started with chemo therapy, four rounds of chemo, and then 33 days of radiation. And it was... I guess it was during that time, number one, I was a nurse. And so, you know, we've been told nurses are difficult patients, but it's different being a nurse than it is being a patient because there were things that happened that the nurses did to me or were doing wrong. For one instance, there was I had a portacath um, in my chest for the IV infusion. And when you clean it and you and you want to use it, you have to do a sterile technique. And I saw the, the nurse do it. She didn't use a sterile technique. And I, kind of outspoken as I, as I was and am, I didn't even say a word to her because I was afraid they would say, 
because they knew I was a nurse. I was afraid they'd say, oh, she knows everything. So you get treated differently. And so a part of me, after all of the treatment was over, it was about a probably a year or two, I journaled throughout there. Um, but in the middle, you know, during my treatment, I started rocking myself back to sleep at night. And I, and I used to do that as a child. And I, and I thought to myself, why am I rocking myself? It was, just, it was just weird. I felt like a little girl again. And I realized that the fear that I had as a child came back. It was back now. And I was like, where did that come from? You know, how did that happen? During my, my 30s and my 40s, I had therapy. I thought I dealt with all that. And obviously, I think any, like, experiences that you have as a child, I mean, we, th- we hope they go away. We think they go away. But they really don't. They're embedded in you, you know, um, actually in your body and your mind. And so... I started having nightmares again, and I I just, you know, I was thinking, is that the chemo giving me nightmares? And so I really, you know, tried to journal and tried to, because I I like to journal as a way to process my thoughts and feelings and try to figure out things. And, um, you know, I just, I couldn't make sense of all the nightmares and, you know, thinking I was craving my childhood doll and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I decided to start writing about it, number one, for the, the, um, Patient's aspect, thinking maybe other people that have been through this would identify. And that was about two years later after looking at the journals I started writing. And it just kind of morphed into uh, what it is today. I didn't turn out to write a memoir or even uh, write a book, but I had thought, well, I have a lot of thoughts here. Maybe somebody would, um, maybe other people feel like me or maybe other people have been through this. And so, um, So many people, I I guess what I hear you saying is that many people, when they have a crisis like this or a trauma, that it just, all the old stuff that really hasn't been dealt with in your childhood just resurfaces kind of like PTSD, right? It's, um, I didn't really, yeah. It's a trigger. It's a a a trigger. trigger. Yeah, it's it's a trigger. And your childhood was fraught with, uh, you know, an alcoholic father and, as you describe it, you you know, a passive mother. And you were responsible for taking care of your siblings and um, just a lot of traumatic stuff that happened that I guess emotionally you hadn't dealt with, even though you had a therapist or had been in therapy and an abusive husband. who you married when you exactly. were married. So how do you, yeah, yeah, how do you you make sense of that when, um, you know, you think, you think you've dealt with it, well, you've talked about it, but, and I, and I found through writing this book that there are, there are triggers and there will be triggers throughout your life of anything, a death, it brings back sadness, which triggers, you know, something else that you had in your life. And it's, it's how we deal with those triggers and how we handle those, which is, which is a lot. I was listening to your prior podcast about um, meditation and uh, yoga and mindful things. And, you know, I think that's, I've just, you know, I've discovered that as a way to try to, you know, help, help myself when a trigger does come aboard. But so going back to writing, I thought after I was processing some more and writing more, I thought, you know what, maybe I should think about writing a memoir. Knew nothing about writing, although I enjoyed writing in school. You know, term papers, I always did better on term papers and things like that, and I enjoyed writing. And 
So I decided to attend a memoir writing workshop on the East Coast, and it changed my life because when the instructors were asking, you know, to write down scenes in your notebook that possibly could be chapters or whatever, I couldn't stop writing. I had so many scenes inside my head, you know, and I looked up and everybody else stopped and I'm still going. I'm like, wow, I got a lot of stuff in here. (laughs) So I really just tried to take one scene at a time. I thought to delve through one scene and then go on. And the good thing for me is now I feel like all of those scenes are out of my head and they're on paper. I mean, they're not all in the book, but it's, you know, but I've written, written those all down in detail and kind of delved into how it's like that little wounded child inside of you, that inner child. You have to kind of through the whole process, I had to really kind of pamper her and say, you know, this is okay. Well, I look at you and I look at the process that you've gone through and now you have your, your marriage. Well, it's been a, a long time married to your second husband and you have children, you have grandchildren and you know, it, you've all, you've ended up in a good place, but starting from the beginning mm-hmm. to me, it, you had so much to overcome. And I said, kind of want to go through that. Like, okay, we talk about your alcoholic father, but obviously uh, a lot of other stuff happened. Your mother's reaction to it or her non-reaction or her non-supportive Mm-hmm. way of dealing with him and the rest of the family um, was so painful to read about. Um, yeah. I do find, I, people have said that to me, you know, and actually one of the good things is people have really approaching me with this book and saying, you know, my childhood was like that. You know, everybody has something and a lot of people just can't get to that point where they can delve into it and, and try to process it and get rid of it. So it's it's sad. Sometimes I, f- I, f- I still see that little wounded child in this person I'm talking to, you know. Um, well, can we talk about so, your mother? Because it seems as if you sure. have, if the right word is you've forgiven her, but um, there was a lot of it seems to me, uh, maybe repressed anger or uh, when you were a child because of all the responsibilities you had taken on and your mother accepting your father's alcoholism and what it did to you and the kids your other, the, or to you and your other siblings. Um, how did you forgive her for that? How did that, you know, as you've gone through the process of, of understanding what happened to you? Well, you know, as a sensitive, you know, I was also a sensitive child. So, you know, throughout the book, I talk about how so frustrated because I was the one in the family that wanted to talk about what was going on and nobody wanted to talk about it. You know, um, like, why is dad waking us up in the middle of the night? Does anybody think that's weird? And where's mom and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, my mom and I went through a period of time. I mean, a period of time, my probably my thirties and forties, I really had very little contact with her other than, you know, maybe visiting her for the holidays or something. And I really couldn't express to her how I would feel because she would say, Oh, Susan, you know, don't feel like that, you know, or, um, Oh, you're over, you're too sensitive. And so it wasn't until actually my breast cancer diagnosis and treatment that I lived in St. Louis, um, I had just moved away 1,500 miles away from my family, my friends, 
And so I really didn't have anybody there. And my mom came to stay and she ended up staying for three months because she said she wanted to. And our relationship during that period of time just changed. You know, we talked about things and, you know, I think, you know, I don't know, you know, I have a different feeling about forgiveness. I feel like forgiveness kind of has to start with myself first. I had to forgive myself for all the choices I made and the things that I did. And then, then I forgave my mom because I don't know, maybe being part of an adult or, or talking to her about how her family was. And we had some in-depth conversations that we never had before. And I finally understood her to a point where I, I did have to believe that she did the best that she could, you know? And, um, so I think opening up, I think that period of time with her that I had was, was a gift to me, kind of given to me as a way to maybe heal and move, move on, move forward. So I guess if anything happened out of the breast cancer, I would say that was a gift. Um, we still didn't talk about things, you know, in depth because she would just shut down. But um, I forced, I first, I forced some conversations and I got answers that I needed to get. So, so she just wasn't um, capable of it. That's that's who she is. I guess maybe it has to do with accepting who she is. I mean, she did. And another part, you were in a different place, too, as I was reading the book, thinking, well, you've had children, so you have a better understanding of what it means to be a mother and some of the things that, <laughs> some of the challenges that it's not so easy. Uh, your expectations sometimes for your parents are uh, more than what they're capable of. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I really felt like I kind of had no role model as a, as a parent, as a mother. I would just kind of think, what would I have wanted as a child or what would my mother have done? And I kind of would do the opposite, you know, because my mother wasn't a very lovey, huggy kind of person. Um, she, I think the first time she told me she loved me when I was 30 years old, and I remember I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say back. And I thought, wow, that just was... You know, that was really bizarre to me. But, you know, an Irish Catholic family growing up, and she told me, you know, that she never thought that she would have as many, many kids, and she didn't want this many kids. She had seven children, two sets of twins, two years apart, everybody, and a husband who, you know, was an alcoholic. It was, you know, the one that got the attention was the one that spoke up or had the most trouble, right? So I was always that one in the background that followed the rules that listened to and did what I was supposed to do. So, so yeah, I do feel like I got, I was neglected and I'm grateful for that time that I had with my mom because she, um, she passed away a year ago in September and she had Alzheimer's and it was a rough three to four years with her. So I was very grateful. I had that time for myself. Let's talk about your, I I mean, I'd like to also discuss, in terms of your choices, you talked about your own choices, which weren't so good. Uh, let's say initially getting married in your early 20s to an abusive man. Uh, perhaps mm-hmm. that's what you were used to, that, you know, your father's abuse with his alcoholism. So that's what you knew. That's, I'm making that assumption yeah, emotionally. It, yeah. You, you can make, yeah. I mean, you can figure that out now, I mean, but I didn't feel like that at the time. I was, um, I started dating him. I didn't even, you know, wasn't really, didn't want to date him, but he was a friend of my best friend's 
boyfriend, I guess. So I said, okay, well, and, and he was the first one. I mean, I was 14 years old. He was the first one that showed me attention, you know, and, uh, and initially I felt safe around him until he started, you know, he gave me a couple of black eyes before I was even married. And, um, I had to forgive myself for that I mean, because I shut down emotionally. I mean, I had to 14 years old. There was just so much going on. I had to I think I just shut down and I made choices. You know, I started, you know, being rebellious in my 14, you know, 14, 15, 16. And, um, but then you were rebellious at 14, 16 and you get married. But I, I my takeaway from it was, and I, I was, my frustration and and my I, uh, feelings so so sad, uh, the abuse that you took from this man and still forgave him. And I sort of compared that. I was thinking your passivity, you had been somebody who had taken care of your siblings. You had done all of that, yet you marry this person who keeps literally beating you up emotionally and physically. And mm-hmm. it was like, mm-hmm. Why is she putting up with that? Was she, you know, she's had experiences of taking on responsibility. It took a long time for you to be able to say, "This is it. I've had it. I'm not going to be with him." But there, and and then I'm, and we don't have that much time left. But I was, I, I wanted to just respond to this because I thought maybe your passivity in not being able to cut it off with him was related to your mother's passivity with her, your father and his alcoholism. Sure. I mean, you, you learn things unconsciously that you don't even know. For instance, when we would argue, I would run to my bedroom and close the door. And I real that's what my mother used to do. You know, so, I mean, I had no, you know, I had no role models on, is this, you know, when it first started, I didn't know that that was wrong. I just thought, you know, we had an argument, but, you know, so there could be a, you know, there is a correlation, I'm sure. And when you were able to do that, make that decision, that's a good choice when you were able to just end that relationship. Uh, well, it goes on from there. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to really, you know, we want people to read the book. So we're not going to tell them, well, the ending, I don't, it's not really an ending because you keep on going. Right. But, um, and we only have a few minutes left. So maybe we'll just leave it at that because I think there's a lot to learn from your memoir. Um, most of us, uh, harbor some kind of secrets that maybe we're not or don't realize impact our choices and what we do with our lives. So I think this book is a really uh, a good of example of how you did take control. Um, two minutes left. So tell me, where can we get the book? Website, websites we can go to for more information about you and your book. I, I think everything is on my website, susanfrancismorris.com. I have links there to the book. I have um, I have healing thoughts that I try to write. I try to write a blog about you know how how feeling and how healing from adverse childhood experiences um, is possible. And there's a, there's some there's a resource page on there too for anything from breast cancer to to abuse, domestic violence to um, child you know adverse childhood experiences. So. Um, I think that would be a, a great place to go for all the information you need. Great. Susan, thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, we're talking, I have been talking to Susan Francis Morris. Her new book is The Sensitive One, a memoir. Um, 
Have a great day. Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 